welcome and good morning. My name is Phil, and I'm so glad to be here. How about you? Yeah, hey, I am so glad to be back. This is officially known as like in the church world as Back to Church Sunday, and, and that's just a, a funny thing. It's a funny phrase to me that you could go to church because church is a people. But in either case, if you are a guest here this morning, I want to welcome you to one of our gatherings where those of us who call ourselves Clarity work really hard so that we could sit in some rows, and, and the goal of it all is hopefully that all of us would find some clarity on who Christ is. Now, Today, we are starting a new series called Rescripting Happily Ever After. And, and as we begin today, this really is just a series. If I was just kind of sum it all up, if for some reason you can't come back and you want to know what it's all about, or if you fall asleep, you have to leave early, this is the bottom line of what this series is really all about. And it's this. It's changing our perspective on the narrative of love and marriage. Now, the question might be, why do we need to change the narrative of the perspective of love and marriage? Because here's the problem. Here's the problem. Uh, for most of us, uh, have, uh, happily ever after was this idea of love turning into marriage, right? It's, you know, love, marriage, and then what? Baby carriage. You know, first comes love. Then can... Remember, we, we always sing that song. The problem is that in our current culture, marriage looks less like happily ever after, and it looks more like dead on arrival, <laughs> in fact, uh, I just, for kicks, I searched uh, the internet, and, you know, because internet is 100% reliable. Uh, I said, what is the opposite of happily ever after? And this is so funny. And, and anyways, uh, they said uh, they got married. <laughs> or the other one was real life or married with children. How many of you have children, married with children, right? And so that, it's a good life. That's a happily ever after, right? But he, here's the funny thing. Uh, we've got this big problem, but how did we get here? How did we get to this idea that, you know, we all love this big idea of happily ever after. When it comes down to it in our culture, marriage feels less like ha happily ever after. And it, me it, it feels more like this, you know, finite type of, oh, happily is now done forever. But how do we get here? Well, whether you realize this or not, the script of the narrative that you hold to in your mind as what is happily ever after has been established in a very early age. For instance, uh, Barbie and Ken, right? Barbie and Ken. How yeah, I many of you played with Barbies, right? Guys, put your hands down. <laughs> but, like, right, Barbie and Ken. Or how about this? Uh, pretty much every Disney movie, every Disney, except Let It Go, uh, you know, Frozen and all that kind of stuff. That's a little bit different. But that's because Anna was able to kind of let it go, let it go. Um, the narrative of what makes a true happily ever after has been really benefited by TV shows. I don't know about you, but I think TV has done wonders for scripting happily ever after. I mean, take, for example, The Bachelor. That's like how I dream my kids to fall in love, or The Bachelorette. That's definitely what I want my daughters to, you know, like having all these guys fighting in all their testosterones with their tap-out shirts and tattoos, whatever. Or, uh, or how about this one, Married at First Sight? Anyone seen that? <laughs> it's just crazy. Uh, or how about romantic movies, right? There's a notebook, the notebook. <gasps> what do you want? What do you want? Right? The notebook. Or, or how about this uh, Sleepless in Seattle? Right? Sleepless in Seattle. Or for the guys, Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> right? Right? You know. Um, so these, these are, these are our, these, our, our culture wants to tell us these kind of things. And unfortunately, for many of us, we carry these fantasies about um, happily ever after into our dating relationships, into our engagement, and eventually into our marriage. And then we find ourselves waking up going, I'm not so happy. 
<laughs> and then we try to solve this problem a couple different ways. We look at it and we realize that, you know, for many of us, we see marriage as, as not really as happily ever after. So how do we try to solve this issue? Well, for one, of us, for one, even though the odds are against us, many of us, we convince ourselves that we're different. You know, oh, I, yeah, I know that, you know, this is the statistic, but I'm different. He's different. We were meant for each other. He completes me. <laughs> right? And so this is what we think, and we think we're different, and that we're the exception. And I don't know about you, I've never heard a groom say to a bride, you know, I take you to be my starter wife, until that really hot girl from work, you know, asks me out. No, nobody says that. Who says that? Nobody says that, right? Because we all expect that we're going to live life differently. We're going to actually find happily ever after. And when we carry these uh, fatally fall expectations to the marriage, eventually our marriages don't look like how we expected them. And then when we have unmet expectations, here's the crazy thing, we are often left disappointed. Because unmet expectations always result in disappointment. And that's why over half our marriages in this country end in divorce, and some of you know that. And that's why there's a lot of married people who, have, who, who really aren't divorced, but they've, they've kind of settled for coexisting but no intimacy. And then, and then everyone else in our culture is looking around and they're saying, you know, marriage is lame, marriage is boring, marriage is this and marriage is that. And nobody wants to be, but, but the other thing is that nobody wants to be lonely, right? And so, but marriage is boring, and, but nobody wants to be lonely. And so here's what we do, people all over, people all over, people who are not married, and here's what they do. Married people, they, they, they sacrifice or they, they, they don't sacrifice, they settle for coexisting and no intimacy. And then you have non-married people who settle for cohabitating with all the sexual pleasure that they want. And this is the situation we have. But nobody's getting married, no one's having a real happily ever after. And really, how is that working for us? How is that working for us as a culture? I'm not talking about you, but just in general, how is it working for us? It's not. Here's the funny thing. Regardless of your background, regardless of how dysfunctional maybe your past is, maybe how many times that you've been married, or maybe how bad your parents' relationship was or how good it was, regardless of the statistics I could share with you and the stories that I could tell you, here's what I know about all of us. Most of us desire happily ever after, don't we? And, and here's the whole point of this series. The reason why we're inviting you to stick around for this whole series is this. We want to give you hope. If you have an idea of happily ever after, we want to give you hope, and we want to paint a picture. We want to draw a, a story. We want to rewrite the script, so to say, of what is an actual happily ever after, that you could live in, that you can find. And we want you to know that there is hope regardless of what the rear viewer mirror looks like in your life, whether there's a whole lot of wreckage back there or not. And we all need a better script to happily ever after, don't we? And, and, and I can say this with integrity because we sincerely, those of us who follow Christ and, and believe in him and what he has done, we believe that God is genuinely more concerned about our future, your future, than he is about your past. And that's why we can say that. 
Now, because we're going to be talking about changing our perspectives of the narrative that leads to true happily ever after, it's only normal that we start on the subject of relationships. If you pull out your notes and you'll see in there, you can follow along. And I'm just going to talk a little bit, some real empirical things. This is not a Jesus thing. This is just a thing thing about relationships. And I think it's just good for us to get on the same page. And I know for some people this might be too simplistic, so I'm just going to apologize. Well, it can't be that simple. Just go with me here, and I think you'll see how it all comes together in the end. But when it comes to most of our approaches to happily ever after, there are basically two ways to pursue a relationship. One is this, uh, to pursue it as a consumer, a consumer relationship. And a consumer relationship is really what I have with Best Buy, right? Best Buy. Best Buy. If best, dear Best Buy, if you have what I want, when I want it, when I need it, for the price that I want it, I will come to your store. But as soon as you don't carry it because Amazon is, you know, killing your market and everything else, I'm going to go somewhere else. But if you have what I need, and you'll give me the discount and you'll match the prices, well, you and me, baby, we can live happily ever after. But as soon as it's not, we're done, right? And this is kind of what a consumer relationship is like. We stay in a relationship as long as there's value to us. But marriage is different. Well, it's supposed to be different. Marriage is a completely different type of relationship. And this is where I might lose some of you, and, and, I, to- and I totally get it. But if you just stick with me, maybe it'll make sense. Marriage really is a covenant relationship. And a covenant relationship, I'm trying to think of it in, in words maybe that would make a lot of sense. I don't know if any of you have kids, been a kid, seen kids, no kids. Uh, it's kind of like how parents are supposed to relate with their children. For instance, their kids can misbehave, they can talk back, they can get bad grades, they can even say, I don't want you anymore, I don't like you, I mean, my kids don't do that, but I've seen other kids, all right, (laughs) you know those kids, no, it's my kids, Um, but, but I don't go, well, okay, fine, you don't give me value anymore, I'm going to go back to the kid's store and get me another one, right, I don't do that, we don't do that, right? Most, if not all, dating relationships are consumer relationships. You know that. You play the dating game. You're, make, you're marketing yourself out there and you're promoting yourself. And you know that the other person can walk away at any time. And so you're doing your best to present value to them. And that's why no guy is ever totally honest in his online dating profile, right? No one ever says this on their profile. Single, out of shape, unemployed male. <laughs> Or no one ever says this, seeking young, hardworking, not picky female. <laughs> Nobody says that, but you've thought of it. Must love frozen pizza, especially Totino's. PlayStation 3 or Xbox, and my mom's basement. Because <laughs> my mom's a really good cook, and you should like it too. Or how about this, email me at hotmail at hotmail.com. All right, yeah, okay, anyways. But dating, listen, listen, dating is a consumer relationship. But listen, listen, marriage is a covenant relationship. And for those of us who love and follow Jesus, we believe this because of what Jesus said. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 69. He says this, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Paul, a writer of a lot of these letters to churches in, to a church in Ephesians, said this about marriage. He goes, this, being marriage, is a great mystery. 
but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Now, you have to catch this real quick. This is what, if, you're, if you don't believe everything you've heard about Jesus, the Bible, or anything about like that, this is going to sound totally crazy, and you have total permission to believe that what we believe about the Bible and what Jesus says about marriage is crazy. But if you didn't know this, this is what Christians actually believe. This is really cool. Marriage is meant to be a picture of God's relationships with us. That we are more screwed up and flawed in ourselves more than we ever imagine, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted by God than we ever hoped for. We're more screwed up than we could ever imagine, but we're more loved than we'd ever hoped for. And this is not something that our culture teaches us about the narrative of happily ever after. But this is what you are supposed to, this is what we are intended to find in marriage. Being connected till death do us part to the one person who knows you even at your absolute worst and still loves you more than anyone else. And the funny thing about that, what I just said, is you don't even have to be a Christian to know that that sounds like happily ever after. But that all originated from Jesus. Now, this is about your current relationship or your possible future relationship. And if you want to live happily ever after, you have to view happily ever after as an ever after. It takes a long time. And listen, if that depresses you, if you're like, oh no, forever, no. Uh, here's, here's, some, here's some good news. Almost 70% of couples who say they're unhappy in their marriage end up being happy in marriage within five years if they decide to stick with it. Did you know that? 70% of couples who are unhappy, if they decide to stick with it within five years, they go, I'm happy. But in order to get there, because it's hard living in that in-between space, right? We have to start to change how we view marriage. And we have to separate truth from fiction when it comes to marriage. And this is what we want to do over the next few weeks. But today I want to start with a couple of things that I made a little list of. And this is fun. And this is just an introduction to the, mess, to the series, okay? So if you're like, where's all the heavy scripture and whatever, whatnot, and we might get to that in later, but this is just an introduction. So when, if you're a little upset about the lack of depth, it's just a what? Introduction. So anyways, I thought this would be fun. Here's some myths and truths about happily ever after. Here's the first myth. The first step to a healthy relationship is finding the right person. That's a big myth. And, and this first step to a healthy relationship, the starting point for living happily ever after is making sure that you find the right guy or girl who can complete you. This is the myth. And from very early on, we've been consumed with finding the right person, right? You ever, anyone ever played games in junior high like MASH, you know, mansion, apartment, shack, house? And, you, and then, you know, you play this game, this tells you your future, and, then, and it basically tells you that you're going to be ending up married to Sarah Johnson from Spanish class and having seven kids living in a van down by the river, right? And you're like, no, I don't want that. You always wanted the mansion with like two kids and that really hot girl from English class. But that never happened. Because your friends were doing it, and they put all the, you know, the girls that you didn't want. Anyways, that was your friendships. Uh, that, maybe you didn't do that. That was my friendships. But listen, it's, it's why dating has become, uh, s- dating sites have become so popular, right? Like Match.com. Now, please, please don't hear me. There's nothing wrong with these websites, but finding the right person as the start to your happily ever after is not the first step. Here's the truth. The first step to, to a healthy relationship is becoming the right person. 
And I have to start there. I have to focus my own character, my own values, the direction of my own life first. Proverbs 14, 8 says this, the prudent understand where they're going, but fools deceive themselves. One of the most important things that I believe that any person can do is figure out what you believe about God and what he's done and what that means for your life. Because your relationship with God or without God affects every decision of your life. It's supposed to. But when we expect someone else to complete us and we ask them to do something that, in our, my perspective, they, they weren't even really created to do and they're not capable of doing, uh, when you look to another human being to be the source of your security and your identity in this life, listen, you are setting them up, you are setting yourself up for failure and for disappointment. And I don't, I wish I could, in the time that I have, sit down and tell you story after story of couples who deceived themselves that the other person would fulfill everything and be everything that they needed. So let me ask you a question. Are you intentionally working on becoming the right person? That's just a good question. Whether you're married or not, this is just a good question in general. Maybe if you're single, are you the person you're looking for? Are you the person someone else is looking for? Or maybe another question is this, who would want to be married to you? <laughs> Here's another myth. Marriage changes people. You've heard this, right? She used to be so carefree before we got married. Now she's just a nag, 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 nag. She never nagged before. He used to be so romantic, but now I think he's married to the TV. Anyone know? She never used to be so angry. He never used to speak so hurtful words to me. I don't understand why he's so different, why she's so different. I guess marriage changes people. That's not the truth. Here's the truth. Marriage reveals what's in people. And most of us don't like to hear that. And we don't want to believe that there may be something wrong with me. I, and I meet tons of couples who go through relationship challenges and no one ever says, <laughs> yeah, you know what? I've been thinking about it. It's me. Totally me. I was the problem. My bad. Let's just you know, start this over thing again. Can we rewind? Hey, my name's Phil. And nobody ever says that. Why? Because I don't like to admit that I'm the problem because the moment I admit that, I lose my story. And you lose your story. And we don't want to admit the problem is our own self because we can no longer paint the other person as a culprit and make them the one to blame and make ourselves the victim. And whenever something comes out of us we don't like, here's what happens. We point to the other person because, because, they're in the closest vicinity, and we say, it's your fault. And the truth is that it's coming out of you. All that guck, that nastiness, is coming out of you because it's already there. And all of us have stuff inside, and marriage is an environment that has the ability to put pressure on every one of us. It pulls out pride, it pulls out anger, it pulls out our selfishness, it pulls out things we didn't even know we had in there. 
And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote that you could choose to be married or not. In fact, he goes on and says in 1 Corinthians 7.28, However, those who get married at this time will have troubles. I'm trying to spare you those problems. Well, thanks, Paul. Let's pray. Amen. You, know, <laughs> that's you don't hear these verses read at weddings very often, right? <laughs> this is, you, just don't, you don't hear it. Because there's not a wedding card that reads, congratulations on the wedding, but brace yourself, buddy. This is going to be the worst experience of your life. <laughs> Nobody writes cards like that. Nobody reads verses like these. But this is the reality. Don't you owe it to yourself to know the reality of what happily ever after is supposed to look like? And being married forces you to face some character issues. Here's the cool thing, and whether you think it's cool or not, being married forces you to face some character issues you never have to face otherwise. And marriage confronts our immaturity. It teaches us that life isn't all about us, and we have to learn to pay attention to what is going on inside of us. And this is a real important thing for those of us who love and follow Jesus. And that's why we believe what Solomon wrote when he says this, guard your heart above else, for it determines the course of your life. And so we pay attention to what's going inside of us. And so we guard our hearts. We protect it. You need to protect your heart because, you know, is there pride in there? Is there insecurity? Is there unforgiveness? Is there selfish? Of course there is. Then deal with it. Confront it. Don't let it seep in there. Don't give yourself excuses like, well, I'd only have this because someone's help. You know, if I can just, you know, go off by myself, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. But deal with it. If you don't deal with it, you become like a ticking time bomb. And when you explode, here's the funny thing, the sad thing. The people closest to you are the ones who get hurt the most. And so, it's a really big thing for us who follow Jesus to say, we're going to take every single day and we're going to monitor our heart because marriage will reveal what's already inside of you. Here's the other myth. Chemistry is the foundation of happily ever after. Chemistry, right? Chemistry, that, you know, that thing. That thing, you know, Lauren Hill used to have that song, that thing, that thing, that thing. Well, that's actually not about that thing. That's about something else. That's the thing that happens after you're married. Never mind. <laughs> Woo, not in the notes. Woo. Listen, when we first started dating, we had this thing called chemistry, right? Chemistry is where we can kind of like just talk on the phone for hours. Like, oh, you know, talking to me. I don't even know what you're talking about. We just felt like, you know, for hours I was talking to you. And, or, you know, we can't keep the mind off each other. I tell this really funny story when I first met my wife. And uh, make a long story short, her brother and sister-in-law, I didn't know who they were. And I was working at Fridays at the time. And they came in and visited me. And, uh, and I was serving. And they came in. And I didn't know it was them. And they were just kind of, they wanted to check me out because I just met my wife. So they sat at my table and I went, hi, my name is Phil. Welcome to Applebee's. You have to understand, I worked for Applebee's six years prior. And I had just met her. I was head over heels. There's tons of chemistry going on, let me tell you. Tons of chemistry. I was head over heels for her. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say that. I just met this girl today and she's the woman of my dreams. I think I'm going to marry her. And they're like, oh. And here's the crazy thing. They didn't tell me. I went, to her, I went to her, I went to go visit her because she was living with them during the summer. She was just visiting. I went to go visit them at go her house. She was staying at her brother and sister-in-law. And so I get to the house and, oh, she's like, how you doing? Oh, it's good to see you. Good to see you. Oh, you look great. And, you know, I'm telling her this and 
we go in, and oh, my brother and sister are coming downstairs. They're coming downstairs. They came downstairs, and I, they all had glasses on. They didn't have glasses on before, and I met them, and they, I shook their hand, there, and all of a sudden I went, oh, oh, oh. I mean, I told them everything, like everything, and they asked, too. Oh, tell us how you met. Oh, where do you want to get married? What do you want? Chemistry. Chemistry tricks us into thinking a lot of different things. But one of the things that it does is it does this to us. It tricks us into thinking, I don't have to be patient. I don't have to be patient anymore because she's never going to do anything. That's going to cause me to be patient. This woman, this bright star of Avalon, this wonderful woman of another W word, I don't know, but she's amazing. I'm never going to have to be patient because she's amazing. And I don't have to deal with resentment or bitterness or anger because she'll never do anything that'll make me resentful or angry. She's perfect. So what do you do? You get married. You get married. You marry her real quick. Or the problem, and the problem is that chemistry goes away, though. I don't know if you realize that. And then you experience a few problems and relationship problems, and then guess what? Guess what begins to suffer as you begin to suffer relationship problems? You know what suffers? The chemistry. And then so you're frantic. And you're like, okay, how can we make the chemistry work? We're just not connecting. We're just connecting. How can we make this jump start? And so guys, guys, we're idiots. And we're like, oh, let's just start having sex, right? Because we think like sex is like duct tape. It fixes everything. Like, well, let's just have more sex. And then, you know, we'll be connected again, right? And then the ladies are like, no, 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 that's not how it works, right? And, and so, but then the ladies are like, well, let's just have a baby. We're absolutely miserable, so let's have a baby. That'll fix everything. And of course, the guy's like, okay, that means more sex. Yeah, <laughs> right? And so chemistry, when we live in this life, when you don't understand how relationships work, then one day the chemistry fades and you wake up and you conclude, I married the wrong person because I'm not living my happily ever after. And then you meet someone at the gym. And his name is, I don't know, Jim. <laughs> Bam! Chemistry. You know? And here's the reality that we all live with. The chemistry in marriage will come and go. And if you don't understand that, you'll wonder what will happen to my happily ever after. So here's what you need to know. Here's the truth. Commitment is the foundation of a happily ever after. And if it is true that marriage is a picture of how Christ loved the church, then the kind of commitment it takes to live happily ever after, this is audacious to say, I know, but it's been set by Jesus, who we know humbled himself, died on the cross, so that we can have a relationship with him. And we're instructed if, if we want to have a lasting relationship, we have to live our life like Jesus. That's just crazy when you think about it. But it's not really crazy when you think about how Jesus lived. Because if you applied what Jesus did, to your happily ever after, I think you don't even have to be a Christian to agree. That, that, is a, that, is a, that is a total equation for happily ever after. I mean, listen to what Paul writes in Philippians 2, verse 3 to 4. Don't be selfish. He was talking about who Jesus is. Jesus was not selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your interests, but take an interest in others too. I mean, quite frankly, this is what we teach our kids, Right? Don't be selfish. Share. Don't think of, you know, 
But if we actually live this out in our everyday relationships, in our dating relationships, in your engagement relationships, in your marriage relationships, can't you see how we would find our happily ever after? What if everyone did this? Some of, some of us, some of you, and I do this too, some of you create environments in your marriage or in your relationships that breed insecurity. You, you do things, dumb things. Maybe you do things that you flirt with other people, but you're, you're in a relationship. You're married. You're, or, or you maybe rarely make time for your spouse, or you threaten divorce. You use the D word a lot. Or you're always pointing out what's wrong with the other person, or you treat your spouse as, infer- as inferior. And listen, these kind of behaviors, if you're doing this, you have, you have hung up the idea of happily ever after. But if there is and hope in your heart for a happily ever after, you need to stop. Because that produces insecurity. And if you want to stay in love, you've got to communicate through your words and actions, I love you, and I'm not going anywhere. It's what I say to my kids every night. I love you, and there's nothing that you can do that'll make me love you more, and there's nothing that you can do that'll make me love you less. And I learned that from Jesus. I try to tell them that. That's not something I made up. But that's how Jesus loves me, and so I love you. And that's a love that I share to my wife. And if that's a love that you take a commitment to, then guess what? You're going to find your happily ever after. And for those that are single and dating, maybe that sounds scary because it seems like there's not a lot of freedom in marriage. But listen, the opposite is true. A long-term commitment produces freedom. If you don't believe me, listen. Freedom is not this. I don't have to make any commitments or obligations to anyone. Freedom is this. It's sitting with someone that you love, not having any secrets, not having to wear a mask, and knowing that they love you for all that you are. Now that, my friend, is freedom. And if we try to base everything on chemistry, then we will start to believe that the grass is always greener on the other side. But the truth is that the grass is always greener where you water it, right? So what are you watering? What are you doing to water your marriage on a regular basis? Those of you who are married, what are you doing to water your marriage on a regular basis? What are you doing that's intentional? It requires time. It requires work because happily ever after does not happen without being intentional. So what are you doing to show your commitment? Do you read marriage books together? Uh, do you go to marriage seminars? Do you go to counseling together? Do you pray together? Do you have date nights? Do you carve out time to spend with each other? Maybe do you belong, uh, if you're, you call Clarity home, do you go, do, do, are you part of a community on mission together? Do, are you part of that? Do you commit to having fun together? Do you engage in a life of a local church together? Do you serve together? Do you do ministry with, with each other? What are you doing? If you can't answer that question, Find an answer to that question. Many people think that the secret to reconnecting with their partner is a candlelit dinner by the ocean side. But the real secret is watering our marriage in little ways every single day. It's those little moments you rarely take the time to think about. When you're, when you're shopping at the grocery store and you pick up something for someone. Or, or you're folding the laundry for them and putting it away for them and not just going, well, they can find out where they're on laundry. 
or having a quick catch-up call while both of you are still at work just to say, hey, I just want to see how you're doing. It, and it varies. You got to know your spouse. You got to know that person. You got to know how the relationship works, and it'll vary. But are you doing something on purpose? Do you have a plan? Because that makes up the heart and soul of marriage, and it takes commitment. Enough about that. Here's another myth. The last one, then we're done. True love should always feel natural. Should always feel natural. <laughs> I don't know about you, but my happily ever after used to be something like this. You know, one day when I get married, I'm going to wake up with my wife. She's going to have nice smelling breath. And her hair is going to be fixed already. And we're going to get up together every morning at the same time and enjoy a cup of coffee as we sit together before the kids wake up. And then every night we're going to have family dinner. And we're going to have date night every single weekend. And we're all going to share the same hobbies. We're going to like the same movies. We're all going to like, we're just going to like the same, we're going to even like the same football team. And then, and then, and then we're going to make our clothes out of curtains and sing songs together. And we're never going to be tired of having sex for the rest of our life. That is what I think happily ever after is going to look like, right? And that's what I thought. And well, whatever. And it, listen, if true love was meant to feel natural, how I felt like it should be, and here's the problem. If it doesn't feel natural, then what we tell ourselves is, isn't that a sign that something is wrong? Like something feels weird here. Like it's not natural. This isn't how I thought it should be. Well, something must be wrong. Here's the truth. True love will always be self-sacrificing. And this is so crucial because all of us change over time. I don't know if you realize that or not. And if you've been married for more than five, five years, here's what you know. The person you married is not the same person that you're married to today. Why? Because we change. And marriage is about helping your spouse become the person that God created them to be. And you must participate in what God wants to do in their life. God is trying to constantly shape us into his image and you must become their biggest cheerleader. This is for the follower of Christ. And marriage says, I will give my spouse the freedom and the space to become everything that God has created them to be and celebrate that with them. And your task is to call out the best in them and celebrate that with them. And the idea that it should always come naturally is rooted in selfishness, quite honestly. True and lasting love will always demand a sacrifice. Even if you remove God from the equation, if you don't want to experience sacrifice, then you will have to run away from love. And this is just an is thing. This is not a Bible thing. True love requires sacrifice. And here's how the scripture describes true and lasting love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 says this. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own ways. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Now, that's a definitely different picture of happily ever after than you hear from fairy tales or The Bachelor, right? I mean, I mean I've heard. And I haven't watched The Bachelor, but maybe I have. This is a different story, isn't it? Now, there is one verse from this chapter that stands out as somewhat unusual, but it's an incredible 
nugget of advice if we can somehow digest it. And this is how I want to close as we begin this series. And I just want to leave this with you and invite you to come back as we begin to take a look at rescripting our, this whole idea of what is happily ever after. And I just, just want to just drop this in there. Just later on in the same letter that Paul writes, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I, I even reasoned as a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now, here's the thing. Some of us are not living a happily ever after or on the teeter, teetering uh, precipice, so to say, of being in a reality of not living happily ever after simply because we have a childish way of viewing love and marriage. We really do. We have a childish way of viewing what is happily ever after. But God created love and marriage for so much more. And listen, I want all of that for you. And my prayer today is that each of us can take one or two things that maybe we talked about regarding truths and apply it and put it into practice this week so that we can begin rescripting our own happily ever after. And don't you want to have a happily ever after. Well, today is the day that we start. So I want to invite you to come back as we take a look a little deeper at what makes a happily ever after and maybe get a right perspective so that all of us can look to the future and say, happily ever after. Is this something that we can have happily ever after? Let me pray for you.